The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC. Marcus Trotter overruns it just a tad, and Kanziri knows what to do. He get, he's getting an opportunity. He's certainly going to make the most of it. Martin Manley, nice job blocking downfield. Hello, everyone. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the football show from Hawkeyes Mike. We have the first of our two weekly reporters' notebook segments in this podcast. This show features Susan Dank, who looks back at the Hawks' loss to the Wisconsin Badgers in Kinnick Stadium. You'll also hear some of what Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz had to say on the weekly Big Ten Coaches Call. This Hawkeyes Mike podcast is one in a series of our weekly programs, which include Brent Balbinat and Marv Cook, as well as sports reporter Scott Docterman of the Gazette, the Hawkeye, Susan Dank, and Steve Batterson from the Quad City Times. Be sure to check out Marv Cook's X's and O's show and our other reporters' notebook podcast, as well as Brent Balbinat's Press Box Report. The Iowa-Wisconsin game highlights are courtesy of ABC with announcers Sean McDonough and Chris Spielman. A really good job calling this game. We appreciate it and thank them. Hawkeyes Mike football programs come to you following every game during the entire season and are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa Hawkeyes and remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group in Coralville, Iowa. Marsh Cook, for all your investment needs. Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz participated, as usual, in the weekly Big Ten Coaches Conference call. Here's some of what he had to say about Iowa's red zone offensive struggles this season, about trying to get his team bowl eligible, and about linebacker James Morris. Uh, yeah, I'm more focused on what happened last week. And, uh, you know, we had a couple trips down there and then came away with three points each and every time. So first half in particular, we, we uh, had a drop. And it's, there's no guarantee we would have made the first, but we would have given ourselves a chance to, and we didn't. And then uh, second time down, we had a couple penalties, which made it tougher. Uh, we overcame one, uh, which was a major penalty. And then uh, went from a third and three, third and four, to a third and eight, third and nine situation, which is not good. So, yeah, you know, you're playing a good football team like Wisconsin. And, and you know, a lot's been talked about their offense, and rightfully so. They're, they're playing excellent defense, too, and they have a uh, majority of the season. So that's, uh, you know, when you get down in there and you can't come away with a touchdown, that, that makes it, you know, you're not going to beat them just kicking field goals. So we challenge our whole team, and, and we do it every week. I mean, that's, that's the objective. When you get down there, I don't think anybody wants to settle for field goals. Uh, if it's the best you can do, then you do that. But, uh, you know, I mean, everybody, everybody wants touchdowns. That's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty elementary there. We don't talk a lot about that in general. You know, just I think you know, most of these guys are smart enough there in college, and I think most of them know that if you win six, you're eligible for a bowl. So, you know, I mean, we're, we're all trying to, to do that, and we're all trying to do better than that, obviously. And I think just, you know, I think we really try to just uh, get our guys to do is focus on the week at hand. And I think most coaches do that. So it's, it's uh, you know, that's what it's all about. And you know, if you want to be somewhere good at the end of the season, uh, the better you handle each step along the way, uh, better are you. More, you're more apt you are to be uh, – 
you know, in a good place at the end. Uh, you know, he's really playing well. We've got a great group of senior linebackers. All three guys are, are playing at a very high level, and uh, James and, and Anthony Hitchens have more uh, notable stats only because of the positions they play. But uh, So we're really proud of all three of those guys and thrilled they're, they're doing such a, a good job. And then James, on top of it, you know, last week, I think he's one of four uh, Big Ten players that were recognized by the National Football Foundation with the postgraduate scholarship. And uh, that, that's such a nice award, and it really, to me, epitomizes what uh, what this is all about, and you know, James certainly embodies all the characteristics you're looking for. He's a tremendous football player, uh, does an unbelievable job in the classroom, and is also just a, a really strong team leader and really respected team leader. And I think, you know, without knowing the other three recipients personally, I think you'd probably say the same about all four of these guys. So um, yeah, it's just a really nice honor, and that was great news last week for him. And again, I'm sure all, all, the, uh, all three of the recipients feel the same way, the other three. Fifth possession of the game for Iowa, the fourth time that they've been in Wisconsin territory. And if it goes as they hope, they'll wind up with just six points on four trips into the Badger end of the field. Here's Mike Meyer. Wind of the breeze, but you wouldn't think it would be a factor. The angle might be a bigger factor from 22 yards. Hunter on a corn bath is the holder. And the kick is good. 4.52 to go until halftime here in Iowa City, Wisconsin, without Chris Borland. Trailing six to nothing. Just a reminder that you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments and opinions on the Hawks. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the News and Events section, and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. And you can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes, and you can follow Hawkeyes Mike on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. Also, be sure to check out all of the Hawkeye stories, features, and blogs in the Gazette, the Hawkeye, and the Quad City Times. Time now for the first of our two weekly Reporters Notebook shows. The show features Susan Dink. You can read Susan's articles in The Hawkeye and online at thehawkeye.com. You can also follow Susan on Twitter, at Susan Dink. Susan looks back at the Wisconsin game and more. Susan, the Hawkeyes fall to 5-4, and 2-3 and three in the conference. They remain one win short of bowl eligibility, plus a win short of 300 conference uh, victories over history. Wisconsin keeps the Heartland Trophy for another year. It becomes bowl eligible for the 12th straight season. That's the best streak in the Big Ten. And if you're an Iowa fan or uh, a member of the Iowa football team, that was certainly a game of blown opportunities for the Hawkeyes against one of the best teams in the Big Ten, probably in the entire FBS, both offensively and defensively. It really was. I mean, that first quarter, Iowa, in the first half overall, you know, Iowa had so many opportunities. They had amazing starting field position. They started the Wisconsin 49, Wisconsin 39, and their own 44, and ended up with six points. You know, they, they just could not take advantage of, really, the game that Wisconsin was handing to them in the first half. Let's talk Iowa's offensive struggles. <laughs> I think I tweeted out sometime during the game that at least this week we won't have to talk about the second half problems because they 
now encompass all four quarters. When you're playing an excellent football team like Wisconsin and points you know are going to be hard to come by, you need to score when the opportunity presents itself and not just field goals but touchdowns. And they, the Hawkeyes, it has pretty much failed to do this in the first half in particular when I think you can argue they lost the game. But even in the second half as well, they just didn't move the ball well enough to get touchdowns and sustain drives. No, you knew it was going to be difficult against Wisconsin, you know, especially on the ground, and they just don't let teams run against them. You know, but you thought going in with Mark Weissman and Damon Bullock, you really had a chance to do something because you figured that here or there they'd break a couple of runs, and, and they kind of did, but nothing huge. And actually, Jordan Kanzer is the one who came up with the big thing. It was a 43-yard run there in the second half. But it was just, it was so disappointing to watch. I mean, even on their second drive there where they started at the Wisconsin 39, they had fourth and inches, they converted it, they got down to the 11-yard line, and they just stalled, and it just seems we're talking about the same thing we had talked about the first few weeks of the season, where they just couldn't do anything once they got down into the red zone. Against a team like Wisconsin or any of these better teams in the Big Ten, you have to get into the end zone, and the three points is just not going to cut it. Offensively, there's lots of disturbing stats that uh, the Hawkeyes are accumulating here, and we'll get to several of them here as we go along, but on Saturday, 10 of Iowa's 14 drives lasted less than two minutes, and 12 of the 14 failed to reach the three-minute mark. Now, Iowa's defense played well enough to win this game pretty much for the most part, but when your offense is having that much difficulty staying on the field, that's going to leave your defense on the field way too long. And you just knew that's what it was going to come down to. I mean, the defense was just playing lights out in that first half. They were not letting Wisconsin do anything that they wanted to do, you know, running the ball. Um, Savvy was having problems throwing the ball. They were pressuring, you know, the quarterback. They were just doing everything. But you knew eventually if Iowa could not have any of those sustained drives, it was going to wear on that defense. And of course, we saw that at the end of James White finally, second or the, the fourth quarter, they were really kind of breaking through, scoring those two touchdowns and getting those yards. But it was just it was really disappointing. You know, they couldn't get the running game going. But then you know, there was always somebody, it seemed, in, in Jake Rudock's face. So he just, to me, never really seemed comfortable. He was missing his throws. There were drops all over the place. I think there were a couple that Devontae Martin Manley should have had and, you know, very unusual for him, dropped a few. Don Schumper, on the other hand, who had been prone to drops, made a couple of huge catches. It just wasn't enough. They just couldn't get everybody on the same page at the same time to keep anything going offensively. Yeah, I counted five drops unofficially. And, you know, this game reminded you a bit of the Michigan State game in terms of Iowa's offensive difficulties. Another great defense that the Spartans have, just like the Badgers have a great defense, and Iowa just couldn't make much happen offensively. But in the Spartans game, even, as in every other game until last Saturday, I think Rudock shows a lot of poise. You know, he had time to make his reads. But in this game, you're right, he looked uncomfortable from the outset. He looked jumpy. Even when he had some receivers that were open, he either wasn't seeing them or he was missing them. Now, having said all of that, you had a lot of wind that affected both teams. You did have the drops. You had some critical penalties that stalled a couple of the offensive drives, too, down inside the red zone. This was not characteristic of the Jake Rudock we've seen for most of the dis- uh, most of this season. It was not. To me, this was more of what you expected the first couple weeks. You know, a new quarterback who had never played before. You didn't really know what to expect. And you kind of expected somebody like this to show up where, you know, when he had pressure, he didn't really look like he was comfortable and know what he was doing. He wasn't able to scramble like he, he'd shown that he could. It really just seemed like he regressed, and this should have been the, the Jake that we saw the first few weeks of the season as opposed to the second part of the season heading down the stretch. I am not sure where that's happened, where the 
this regression has come from because he had been looking great and showing that poise, you know, even when someone's coming at him that he could then find his receiver or he could scramble or whatever the case may be, get rid of the ball. But he just did not look like that this week. And you know, like you said, even against Michigan State, he showed that poise and stayed in control. But for some reason this past weekend, he didn't have that. Nevertheless, having said all of that, he, he still had eight different receivers. Uh, he was 12 of 24 for 109 yards. He was not sacked. Bethard, when he came in, was 4 of 16. Both Rudock and Bethard had just killer picks that Wisconsin quickly turned into touchdowns, and those were probably the difference makers in this game. Turnovers absolutely made the difference there. Wisconsin had finally scored the end of that first half. They finally had a lead. They maybe had some momentum. Then they, they really couldn't get anything going offensively their first couple of possessions. And then Iowa really helped them out. Wisconsin pinned Iowa, you know, at the one-yard line. And on the first play, you know, that interception by Darius Hillary just, you know, was so big, finally turning the momentum toward Wisconsin that, you know, they, they thought they might have coming back out in the second half. And then that Everdares touchdown on that next play. And all of a sudden, Wisconsin has 14-6 lead and, and, and just the momentum. And I think they could finally feel that they could do something, that they, they had something, even if their offense wasn't doing much, well, their defense could maybe do something. And then the unfortunate pick from CJ that hit off of Sinel uh, and hit off his lineman and, and Pat Muldoon came up with it. You know, that was just a, a bad bounce. But then they scored again, and, and pretty much by that point, it was over. In spite of all the pressure Wisconsin applied, there was only one sack all day, but seven different Badger defenders were credited with seven quarterback hurries, and that ended up being only a 40% completion rate combined for Rudock and Bethard, which is the lowest since uh, 2005. And this was all without, without Wisconsin's huge linebacker, Chris Borland. They obviously are a different team without him in there, but to get the pressure and to have so many different people getting the pressure and, and getting back there to, to bother the quarterbacks, you know, that was just great effort by that Wisconsin defense. You wonder where the tight ends went here. When it, you're playing a game offensively where it, it seems like nothing is open or nothing is working, the one thing that we talked about last week leading up to the game with Wisconsin was that this would probably be a game where the tight ends would step up, but they only caught three passes. Yeah, it's really crazy. It seems like it just goes back and forth every week. One week they're really getting those tight ends involved, and the next week they don't exist anymore. So you, you really thought, and I don't know if that's part of the game, plan where they weren't being targeted or if, if Jake and CJ weren't seeing them or what the deal was, but it, it's, it's really shocking and, and quite baffling to me that one week they get majority of catches and then the next week it, it, it's like they're not even playing in the game. Bethard, you know, did provide a little bit of excitement with a couple of his passes. He does have a cannon for an arm, but I think you saw why he's the number two quarterback Saturday. He wasn't making reads. He was forcing some uh, passes in there. All of his passes were like rifle shots. There was a little tough and some bad decision-making. Yeah, and it's kind of hard to say, too. He comes in in a bad situation. His team's down. He's playing one of the top defenses in the conference and in the country. So there's a, a lot of pressure there and a lot of expectation there. But there were things that he was doing wrong. But he also had a lot of pressure, like we were talking about, with the you know the defenders being in the backfield with him all the time and getting in his face. He did make some really good throws. I think it was just a matter of just him playing more and becoming more comfortable back there and not just being thrown in in situations where it's going to be really hard to succeed. Iowa's rushing game pretty much non-existent. Uh, They did finish with uh, just 115 yards out of 294 total yards on offense. Uh, Wiseman, who was nicked up, couldn't finish the game, was completely ineffective. Uh, Bullock, no better. The only spark Iowa had in terms of its running game was uh, Jordan Canzeri. And that was a huge run. I mean, that was almost half of their their rushing yards.
yards right there, that, that 43-yard run at the end of the, the third quarter, and they, they got their, their third field goal out of it. But you'd hope that, you know, right there, he, he first down and he runs 43 yards, gets them to the 17. There should have been some life there, and I think Southard talked about that, you know, that they, he was looking to come in and, and have some kind of spark, and then Jordan did that, invited a spark, but then it fizzled out almost, almost immediately. I mean, they gained five more yards the entire rest of that drive, and it just they couldn't do anything running. They ran, oh, I think it was two more times and for five yards and then an incomplete pass, and they had to settle for a field goal. And it, there was just, I mean, the entire game was like that. There's just no continuity anywhere. If they had a big play, it just they couldn't keep anything going. Yeah, the 43-yard run by Kanzari in the third quarter is the only double-digit yard run that Iowa managed in that game. It's the longest run from the line of scrimmage this season. Greg Davis keeps calling that zone stretch play for Mark Wiseman, who seems completely unable to run that play effectively. He can do other things very well, but right now I would say Kanzari's the only one who seems to be able to make that outside zone run work. Yeah, with Wiseman, you just think, you know, you're just going to pound it up the middle. That's where his strength is. He can pull people over and run right through them, and that's his strength. And Jordan's the one who seems to be able to, to get to that edge and, and you know, turn that corner and, and do that. So, you know, it'd be nice to see them adjust to you know, who they have in there and what they're calling and, and maybe have some more, some more success. Even with all those offensive struggles, Iowa was still in this game going into the fourth quarter. But in, in that last period, the Badgers outscored the Hawkeyes 28-3 to in the last 32 minutes overall, 14-0 to zip in the fourth quarter. Wisconsin held the ball for over 10 minutes in the fourth quarter and outgained Iowa in that period 148-78 to 78 yards. And that's kind of what I expect when you're coming into this game. I, I've seen a couple other Wisconsin games, and they a lot of them they kind of start slowly and then they kind of turn it on, but they always have that running game. And I expected more maybe from that running game early in the game, and Iowa just did a fantastic job through three quarters, you know, containing the entire Wisconsin offense, not just that run game, but they finally found something and was able to wear down that Iowa defense that had been out there for so long and finally, you know, get those runs and, and you know, James White came through and scored a couple of touchdowns and was Wisconsin's leading rusher of 132 yards. And But Iowa did do a fabulous job with Melvin Gordon. He'd been averaging, I think, nine and a half yards per carry. He had 62 total yards and averaged 3.6 yards per carry. So they did a fabulous job on him. But with Wisconsin, you do have more than one back who can rack up just a, an amazing number of yards. And then James White came through on Saturday. Yeah, a couple more points on Iowa's offensive play. It was the fourth time this season, incidentally, this Wisconsin's held its opponent without a touchdown. So Iowa wasn't the first team that suffered that experience. But just to, to look at the status of Iowa's offense sort of overall in, in the last few weeks, here, here are the facts. In the last three weeks, Iowa's held the ball only 33% of the time in a second half. That's 122nd in the entire FBS. They only have 16 second half points in five Big Ten games. They've been outscored 71 to 27 during the fourth quarters, and that includes 33 zip the last four games. And they've had three fourth quarter points in five Big Ten games. It's almost baffling to me how it can be that bad. You know, again, it's still, it feels better sometimes, but boy, the the production in the second half in this season is just in the toilet. Yeah, those numbers are, are just incredible. I mean, it, you knew it was bad. Maybe maybe sometimes it didn't feel that bad. It, it, yeah, I just, I'm kind of at a loss for that. We, we've talked in the past about adjustments and the other team coming out at halftime and after halftime and having made those adjustments and Iowa just not, but you got to think it's more than just adjustments. I mean, there's obviously something there where this offense just can't stain something for an entire game. You know, even if they have that great first quarter, great 
great first half. There's just, I don't know if right now if it's a, a mental thing where it's happened so many times and now they're just going to have to get over that part of it or what the deal is. But it's going to be quite a challenge to get that sixth win you know, if they keep doing the same things and putting up those, or lack of putting up numbers in the fourth quarter there. Yeah, one more depressing offensive stat, then we'll look some more at the defense. But against FBS teams only now this year, Iowa currently ranks 99th in the nation in offensive touchdowns per game at 2.2. Purdue might be a cure for any team's offensive struggles, but we'll talk more about that later. Iowa did give up 362 total yards to Wisconsin's offense, but only uh, 218 on the ground. Now, you say only 218. A lot of teams will be very excited about that, but that's pretty low output for Wisconsin's offense. And, and in fact, it was lowest point total and lowest number of offensive yards in the entire season in the first half that they held the Badgers to. Wisconsin runs 64 plays. They were 3 of 3 in the red zone, all touchdowns. They were only 4 of 15 on third down conversions. Yeah, I, I think that you know really goes back to that defense in the first half that they had all these three and outs and they just couldn't do it. And a lot of them, I'm looking right here, you know, third and three, third and three. So even these short third downs, that usually is not, not really a problem for Wisconsin. You hand the ball to White, you hand the ball to Gordon, you get that first down. Iowa's doing just a fabulous job. Um, so James Morris, again, was all over the place. Christian Kirksey, they were just doing a fabulous job stopping these guys. I think they were really keyed in on this, talking to them the week leading up to the game. You know, Carl Davis said he had really been looking forward to this game. There's the Smash Mouth Big Ten football that you don't see you know, a lot anymore with all the, the passing now. But I, I think or I think Iowa was very much up for this game and, and really wanting to prove that they could stop the run. And they did a fabulous job of that until the fourth quarter. And unfortunately, that fourth quarter is what did them in. Iowa allowed more than 200 rushing yards for the third straight week. And incidentally, that's something that did not happen the entire 2012 season. But as you mentioned earlier, they were very successful in stifling Wisconsin's star sophomore running back Melvin Gordon to a season low there in his yards. And they pretty much shut down Wisconsin's very productive jet sweep plays. Mm -hmm. But when you have another running back like James White, it it certainly makes up for the lack of production elsewhere, maybe in your offense, because White had a terrific game. Even though he was slowed down a lot of the game, he came through when it counted. Yeah, he did. I I think he's been overlooked quite a bit because Melvin's having such an amazing season. But but James White is a starter, and he came in, and he is quite a a very good back. And I don't think I will look him at all, but he is a very dangerous back, and he finally did come through. Part of that, he saw he had to pass because I was was doing a great job at kind of bottling up the run game. And he had some good passes, and then all of a sudden, once he started doing that, James White was able to break through 11-yard touchdown run and then that two-yard run at the end. But James White is a very good player, and you you figured that as great as Iowa was playing on defense, there's no way you could keep both of those guys bottled up the entire game. I mean, that's the one thing that makes that jet sweep so effective is because it looks like when they're going to run that jet sweep, they can hand off to White, who'll go up the middle one side or the other. And so you kind of have to defend both. White becomes only the third player to, to get more than 100 rushing yards against Iowa's defense 
all year. The other two were Ohio State's Carlos Hyde and Braxton Miller, and we know how good they are. The Hawkeyes also, though, did a pretty good job of holding Wisconsin's uh, terrific wide receiver, Jared Aberderis, in check, even though he missed a good chunk of the second half with uh, some kind of a chest injury. He only had three catches for 30 yards, including the one TD, but I think whatever they were doing defensively, they were able to pretty much shut that aspect of Wisconsin's offense down, too. You kind of expected if uh, White and Gordon couldn't get things going, then you know, the Wisconsin would turn to Aberderis because he can make spectacular, you know, big plays. But, you know, but he had a couple of drops too. You know, it was kind of surprising. Um, I think somebody tweeted about how they should throw to Aberderis, and that second they didn't, he dropped it. <laughs> so he wasn't having the best day either. You know, then he had that touchdown and, and had to leave the game. But it was kind of surprising that they didn't throw to him more. But you know, just a great testament to whatever Iowa was doing to kind of take him out of the game because you know Kirk had talked about it in press conference being up to the game that Aberderis could just pretty much do anything and was just a great player and I think they really keyed on taking him out of that. Yeah, props to the defensive secondary for that and really all day long the Iowa's defensive secondary only gave up the one long pass play and that was the 44-yard touchdown pass to their tight end uh, Pedersen. But I think you saw one of the weaknesses in Iowa's defense which is at least from time to time questionable play by Iowa safeties. Johnny Loudermilk did finish with double-digit tackles, but on, on watching some of the replays, he kind of looked not just out of place or out of position, but almost lost on several plays. And while Tanner Miller had that uh, that pick on Wisconsin's first drive of the day, he also was caught out of position on several occasions, and that seems to be a recurring problem. It is, and, and you think that maybe this deep end of the season, some of those things would have been fixed, but I know that's something that we've talked about in the past. And like you said, they didn't give up a ton of those big plays that really, truly hurt them like they have in, in previous games. But you're out of position once or twice, and you can really get burned. And while it didn't happen a lot against Wisconsin, it easily happens probably not against Purdue, but it can happen in that couple of weeks with, with, um, with Michigan and Nebraska. Yeah, I guess the other glaring play that the defensive secondary broke down on was the pass play after the Rudock threw that pick uh, deep in Iowa's own territory. Aberderis was wide open in the middle of the end zone. That also looked like one where maybe Loudermilk got turned around and went the wrong way. Special teams, there's not much to say about that, uh, except for Mike Meyer, who was in Iowa's entire offensive production. Uh, the three made field goals leaves him now with 300 career points, and he's only the second player in Iowa history to hit that mark, Nate Kading being the other. Yeah, it, it just shows his consistency and what he can do, and confidence, obviously, being a senior. He's confident he can go out there. Um, you know, and the wind was just crazy, so you know you saw that throughout the entire game. You know, the wind really playing with that ball, especially on the punts, but field goals, Mike just did a fabulous job and really, you know, gave them a chance up until really the end of the game to be in it. Closing thoughts, just this game reminds you, even though that Iowa fans didn't like the outcome, that this was a resumption of a great series between border rivals. It's become a, a terrific rivalry and now a trophy game too. Big Ten should never have interfered with that, go, you know, in the past. And at least going forward now, they'll get to play each other since they'll both be in the new uh, Conference West division. Great for the teams, great for the fans. It really was sad when that series had to end a couple of years ago, but wonderful that back. You saw so much red in the stands of Kinnick. You know Wisconsin travels well. You know Iowa travels well, and they'll go to Madison. And it's just wonderful. I mean, you can't get any closer in this series. And with that win, Wisconsin now leads 43-42-2. and two. You just you can't get any closer than that. And it's just wonderful to see two Big Ten teams to play. Big Ten football, they want to run the ball. They have big physical linemen. They just want to stop you in the trenches. And you know, for a long time, that's in that game, that's what we saw that first 
first half it was that defensive struggle and then that the running game that finally came on. But it's just great to see. And as much as Iowa didn't have much of an offense, they did such a great job on defense up until that fourth quarter and really held good offense in check and a couple of really good running backs in check. I know they can't hang their hats on that. They're not thinking that way. you know. But they did do a fabulous job on defense and the offense just has been so inconsistent and really needs to catch up and, and start doing something if they want to become more eligible and play a few more games after the regular season. Yeah, and a cure could be on the immediate horizon here because Ferris has indicated, first of all, that both Rudock and Wiseman are expected back from their minor injuries, I guess, and Purdue's probably a, a, a cure for almost any team's troubles. Uh, you'd hope so. <laughs> I, I think it would be a big disappointment if Iowa goes to West Lafayette and doesn't come out with a huge victory. Purdue just can't do anything this year. Their offense is just horrible. Their defense is just horrible. It's going to be a pretty long rebuilding process, I think, at Purdue. But Iowa should go in there, and you'd really hope they shouldn't have any problems. They don't have a bad – I guess I, the numbers don't agree with this, but to me, they really don't have a bad offense. You look at the, the running backs, you really can get going. Rudock, up until this past game, you know, looked really comfortable and poised and everything. And if, if they can just get everything going at the same time and everything on all cylinders, I mean, they shouldn't even have to do that to be Purdue. But it would be great to see just everything come together and really pick up a big win on the road. All party guards, great plan. Stave took a knee. And Wisconsin retains the Heartland Trophy. Chris, so much attention on that Wisconsin offense, but the defense is starting to get more and more recognition. That was a strong performance today without their leader, Chris Borland. They do a good job of executing their assignments and they don't make mental mistakes. The Badgers held Iowa just 115 yards rushing today. Final score, Wisconsin 28, Iowa 9. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. <laughs> How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer protects your hands all day. Stays on. Up to 10 washings. Moisturizes. Alcohol-free. And safe for the kids. So go ahead. Touch anything and everything. Ooh, a toilet. Prefins. Keep your hands germ-free all day. Our thanks again to ABC for the game highlights this week. And as always, thanks to Susan Dink. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast and that you'll come back for more. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.